0: From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen.
1: We were genuinely pleasantly surprised at the transformative power of this model and just story after story of people who felt like they're in a rut spiritually but all of a sudden something coming alive for them the light going on getting excited about prayer and the possibilities about some of the spiritual practices that we opened up for them and it really was for many of them really transforming and
0: Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash not seen radio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash not seen radio. Thank you. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guests today are Dr. Neil Pembroke and Dr. William S. Schmidt, Dr. Pembroke is the Associate Professor of Christian Studies at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. He's the author of Moving Towards Spiritual Maturity and Foundations of Pastoral Counseling. And his colleague, William Schmidt, is a professor at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago, here in the United States. He's the author of Walking with Stones, a spiritual odyssey on the pilgrimage to Santiago. Longtime listeners will remember that we spoke to Professor Schmidt a couple of years back. Today, we're talking about a recent project that they were both involved in, along with several other scholars, called Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities, a whole person prompt card approach. Neil Pembroke, William Schmidt, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you. Thank you, David. So I want to start out with this term because it's a term that maybe my listeners have heard, but they're maybe not familiar with the definition of, or maybe they've never encountered it at all. This term, spiritual formation. And I wonder, Professor Pembroke, if you would start us off by giving us a sort of overview. When we hear this term, spiritual formation, what are we talking about? Well, David, uh, it depends who you're
1: talking to. More conservative Christians might think of spiritual formation largely around uh, reading the Bible and praying. And so they would interpret it around those kind of categories of their formation as a Christian disciple, whereas people in uh, more progressive Christian traditions might want to uh, expand it out a little bit and make it more holistic. So that's what we've tried to do. We've looked at spiritual characters, which is really the the fruits of the Holy Spirit, things like peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and some other aspects of spiritual character as well. We've looked at spiritual practices, anything from prayer and reading scripture to ecological stewardship and social concerns. So you can see straight away that we've tried to broaden things out and connect with some contemporary concerns that are very important in an era of climate change, for example, and recognizing that Christians are increasingly concerned about social justice. Black Lives Matter movement is very significant, for example, and many other social movements for justice and peace. Then we've included personal and social ethics uh, as a separate domain. So we go deeper in that area. And then finally, this is the most controversial for our sisters and brothers who are from the more conservative churches. We've included positive psychology. So Professor Pembroke,
0: What I'm getting from your answer is that when we talk about spiritual formation, when we look at a sort of more conservative Christian tradition, we might find that it's an answer that has a very narrow focus. But as you continued your answer, what I realized was that spiritual formation can be encompassing of a number of identities, a number of character development directions, and a number of practices. Now, these are my words, not yours. When I say it back to you like that, have I understood what you're meaning about this expanded definition of spiritual formation?
1: That's perfect. And I want to emphasize just briefly that we wanted to be inclusive. So we've put in elements that those uh, from more conservative or traditional churches would recognize and want to and feel comfortable with. But we've also tried to include elements that are in what might be called progressive Christianity or more liberal Christianity would also embrace. Our intention was not to exclude, but to include
0: thank you for for expanding on that. And Professor Schmidt, if I can bring you into the conversation, one of the things that Professor Pembroke discussed in his answer about kind of the sweep of spiritual formation was this notion of positive psychology. I know that your background is in Christian counseling and pastoral counseling, so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the psychological aspect of this, sort of why when we're talking about spiritual formation, we're not just talking about habits, but maybe we're talking about some interiority as well. How does that— Factor into this.
2: Yeah, thank you. Because we are thinking about this process as a whole person enterprise, and so we're believing that we need to include all the elements of the human experience mind, body, spirit, which includes our psychological states, our relational environments, our developmental narratives. And so we're intending to offer this format as a kind of an encompassing, fully human experience which has an embeddedness in our
0: spiritual lives. Thank you for that. And maybe let me take just a moment and reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen, and I'm David Dalt. We're happy to be speaking today with Neil Pembroke from the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia, and Professor William S. Schmidt, who is at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University here in Chicago in the United States. They both are part of the scholars who have brought forth a new volume called Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities, a whole-person prompt card approach that we're discussing today. Professor Pembroke, I wonder if we can take a step back and I can ask you, how did this project first come to be? Like, what, Who had the idea? Where did the conversation begin and how did it develop? Give us a little overview of that.
1: Well, quite a long time ago, in a theological seminary, I was asked to teach a course called Formation for Christian Ministry. And I was kind of new to teaching at that stage, and I thought there'd be a textbook, and I'd grab the textbook, and off I'd go, but there wasn't a textbook. So I had to make it up from scratch, and I thought, what really should someone who's been formed for ministry be connected with? And I thought of three domains. I thought of spiritual practices. I thought of personal and social ethics, and I took thought of positive emotional life and self-awareness, so the more of the positive psychology approach. and taught that course and then got a great reception from the students. They encouraged me to make the ideas more publicly available. so I wrote a book called "Moving Toward Spiritual Maturity," which was really what I taught in the course. And then I said at that point that I would really want to take this further and make this available for ministry agents, priests, pastors, whatever term we use in our churches to make it more accessible and to be able to be used with their parishioners. So that's where the project started then.
0: And so, Professor Schmidt, when did you become a part of these conversations and how did that develop from your end?
2: Well, it, it really began with a relational connection with Neil. We were uh, both uh, at conference member participants at a Society for Pastoral Theology, which is an American-based theological society. We met there, and so we had a, we were a kindred spirits, I think, in terms of uh, our theological orientations and our praxis commitments. But this specific seed of the actual, the research and, and the Formulation of the whole book, uh, I think, was a kind of a organized uh, kind of. We I think we all add pieces to it. Now, of course, Neil I think took the foundational insights that he just shared, uh, and it was built on. And really, and maybe Neil could fill in some blanks in terms of. We actually had a ten-person uh, research team actually initially in mind, but for various reasons we reduced it down to five. And so, Neil could I think helpfully fill that blank in as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So,
2: Bill's absolutely correct. We had a big team in place
1: of 10 people and we did a lot of brainstorming and we came up with a, a, a model and then I wrote up our work and got published in a, a journal and then there was a question how to take this further and Theo Platsia from the Netherlands read the article and emailed me and said uh, really like it can I get in on this and was so excited uh, and so I said okay let's have a zoom conversation And then he said, who else can we pull in? And so I thought immediately of Bill, because as he said, we had a great kindred spirit connection. I have a similar connection with Ewan Kelly in Scotland. He and I worked with the the same PhD mentor in Edinburgh. And then the final one was my good friend, Jan Albert Vandenberg from Bloemfontein in South Africa, doing very exciting work there
0: around similar kind of areas. So there was the team. Well, that's one thing that I want to make sure that my listeners understand, that what is going into this book, Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities, is not just theory, but you have actual on-the-ground work, not just in one context, but in multiple contexts, in multiple countries, on multiple continents. Do I understand that methodology correctly?
1: Uh, Absolutely. One of the things that's very fundamental about practical theology Is we're a bit scared of great in theory, not so great in practice. So we all agreed as a team that we're going to road test this. So we put it on the road in the Netherlands, in Scotland, in South Africa, in Australia, and in Chicago. I guess listeners will expect me to say this, but it's actually true that we were just blown away by the positive response from both the ministry agents, the pastors, and the parishioners in the focus groups. We just asked them how did it all go. And they were very, excited about them.
0: And before we go to break, which will happen in just a moment, I wonder if we could give a little glimpse of the methodology itself, because at several points, I've read the subtitle of your book, A Whole Person Prompt Card Approach. And I want to just zero in on that second part of the subtitle right quick, the notion of prompt cards. And I wonder, Dr. Schmidt, if you'd be willing to talk about when we're talking about prompt cards, what are we talking about here?
2: Well, this is really a shorthand way of talking about a kind of a structure of engagement. In other words, um, I want to offer a little thought in terms of additional sort of distinctions vis-a-vis our title. So among the maybe classic terms that have been used over the years in terms of uh, spiritual journeying would be things like uh, spiritual direction, spiritual companion, spiritual guidance. So our title is, in some distinction with that, and in in terms of our using the term spiritual formation in local faith communities, it has to do with the commitment to the faith community. So our perception was that not that spiritual guidance is necessarily fully manifested in all traditions. I think different traditions have different variations of that. But one of the sources, and I would say, of neglect of Christian formation is in within faith communities itself. And I think we are seeing in our current environment an erode of the health or unhealth in faith communities and and the absence, I think, of intentional spiritual formation, I think is one of the elements in that. And so I think we have a sense that we need to help faith communities find ways of engaging the deeper spiritual journeys within their communities and and also the members within those communities. So so it's really a commitment to the community itself as a necessary for faith
0: formation and faith development. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Professor Neil Pembroke. He's Associate Professor of Christian Studies at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. He's the author of Moving Towards Spiritual Maturity and Foundations of Pastoral Counseling. We're also talking with Professor William S. Schmidt. He's a professor at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago, here in the United States. He's the author of Walking with Stones, A Spiritual Odyssey on the Pilgrimage to Santiago. Longtime listeners will recall that we've spoken to him before here on the program. Today, we're Talking about a book that they are both partial authors of. There's a group of five authors that are part of this, but the book is Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities, a Whole Person Prompt Card Approach. We'll continue our conversation when we come back in just a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're speaking today with Professor Neil Pembroke and Professor William S. Schmidt. Neil Pembroke is the Associate Professor of Christian Studies at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia, and William Schmidt is a professor at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago, here in the United States. They are two of the five authors of a recent book called Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities, a whole-person, prompt-card approach. Well, now my question is to both of you, because as we've been talking in the first segment, two strands, issues, pieces came out. Uh, Right before the break, Professor Schmidt was Saying that the aspect of this project that is very important to keep in mind is the notion of the commitment to local faith communities and to the ways in which those local faith communities are involved or could be helped with the development towards spiritual maturity of their members. But something that you said, Professor Pembroke, earlier in the conversation also caught my attention, and that is when we're talking about spiritual formation, we're talking about a spectrum from very conservative communities to more progressive communities, and that there's a difference in how those more conservative communities and those more progressive communities might think about the role of spiritual formation in their communities and what might be on the table, what might be off the table in terms of legitimate approaches to spiritual formation. And I believe, if I recall, you even used the word, Professor Pembroke, friction around that process. And so I now want to ask about this, because as you are being involved in these projects, working with your colleagues in these various continents and communities and contexts, what were some of the commonalities that you discovered along the way, and what were some of the frictions that you discovered? as you began to work with these in real time, in real communities. One of the
1: friction points was around positive psychology uh, not so much from our participants, they seemed to really like it, but I went and spoke about the project to a group of evangelical Anglicans in Melbourne, Australia, gave two papers and there was formal responses. And in the formal responses from two Anglican priests uh, of the evangelical persuasion, that there was quite a passionate, strong response, a big no to positive psychology. What's this got to do with the Bible? What's it got to do with discipleship? Discipleship's about uh, reaching out and sharing the good news of Christ and bringing people to faith. And I was taken aback because you know, chatting to my colleagues, it seemed like a no-brainer that you'd want emotional well-being in there. So it gave me a bit of a push to do some more reading and one of the things I discovered is that things that are very important um, for positive psychology, like the, um, the aim of being happy in a, in a deeper sense than uh, pleasure-seeking, but uh, a satisfying, fulfilling life, was really talked about in the Bible a lot as well, um, by Jesus and in the Beatitudes and book Proverbs. But that was one of the friction points. Let,
0: yeah. me, let me make sure that I've understood correctly. So you were presenting... The full scope of this project and in the process, you talked about this idea of positive psychology, which if I'm understanding that term is deeper than simply chasing after happiness, but it it might be pointing towards what we often in the religion guilds call human flourishing. So first of all, do I have that right?
1: Human flourishing is what positive psychology is interested in. With all the stresses and strains of life, we seem like we're just clinging on by fingernails, just coping, fingers in the dike holding everything together, but not flourishing. And that's the aim. But it's, as you say, David, it's a deeper thing. It's about not only chasing after your own happiness in a selfish way, but recognizing that that satisfaction in life is really about that great tradition of moral virtue that started with the Greek philosophers like Aristotle. So they're very tapped into that tradition, whereas it's a much deeper thing. And that's often a misunderstanding from Christians that this is all about being selfish, but we're meant to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. But so once you understand that deeper sense of it, then maybe some of the, the fears go.
0: Well, and you mentioned that these two Anglican priests really pushed back hard, and that your response to that was to go yourself into the scriptures. And if if I'm understanding you correctly, you found an affinity for this kind of human flourishing-focused, positive psychology. In the words of the scriptures themselves, I wanted to make sure that I had heard that correctly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing I found is that some really good scholars have been interested in the Bible and positive psychology, and particularly this thing of flourishing and happiness. So they've done all the work for us. Neither Bill nor myself, anyone else in the team, are trained biblical scholars. We don't don't read Hebrew and Greek fluently. And so we rely on these other scholars who who know about this stuff in very deep ways. And they tell us that there's a definite affinity here. So in the book, we've reported on that. So even though I was a bit taken aback when there was this really strong pushback, which I didn't fully uh, expect, I'm really appreciative of it because it's made a great contribution to our thinking.
0: And Professor Schmidt, did you have a similar experience of presenting ideas and getting hard pushback, or was your experience one that these ideas were received with more affinity and welcome in the Chicago context?
2: Uh, Well, as part of our effort, the, the five of us as researchers, we recruited three pastoral persons, we call them pastoral agents, in our respective areas. And so I intentionally select from a wider variety. All of us selected from a wide variety of pastors. So I I had a Catholic priest, uh, an Anglican priest, and a Presbyterian minister as the three pastoral researchers. They were uniformly very positive about the process, were passionate about it, and and we all as team members interviewed all the parishioners as well. So we have some, some real hard data in terms of how the process unfolded. And so in terms of their tensions, we didn't really, from my point of view, we did. I didn't experience any tension. But the point I want to make, though, with regard to Neil's uh, concern, I think one of the differences where, for certain maybe more conservative communities, they have a perhaps a, a different understanding of the role of the pastor vis-a-vis, a uh, call of uh, spiritual discipline as directivity. In other words, as a more of a challenging, maybe not in your face, but using more scriptural mandates, more of a firmer challenge, perhaps coming out of maybe a more directive, uh, authoritarian perhaps, leaning. And so there are some temperamental differences, I think, in terms of how pastors may think about their role in terms of their spiritual responsibility to challenge their parishioners. Now, if you look at some of the prompt cards, there's a there's a real deep invitation for self-ownership and self-awareness that's, that's tucked into these cards. So it's in, in, in no way trying to avoid an authentic engagement with who you are, with yourself, with your environment, and with God. So, so I think it's a bit of a red
0: herring to say that we're not seeking deeper opening up of one's personal narrative before God. So I just want to make sure that I've heard that correctly. And I thank you for talking more about the process, Professor Schmidt. So in the more conservative communities, is it fair to say that a mark of spiritual formation would be perhaps increased obedience to the legitimate authorities of that community, whereas for more progressive communities, a mark of spiritual formation might be greater self-actualization or greater self-awareness. These are my words, not yours. When I'm drawing that tension, am I understanding kind of the dynamics that you encountered, or would you say it in a different way?
2: Well, I think if you if we want to step back just a little bit further in terms of the history of pastoral the evolution of pastoral care, let's say, in the 20th century. So c- accompanying others in caregiving, I think, has o- over, these, the, over the century included relational engagement. In other words, deeper listening, attending to the nuances of a person's life pattern and narrative and so forth. So most all Christian communities have some variants of that. Some would have a, maybe a different theology around maybe a kind of human darkness vis-a-vis hopes more pessimistic take on human nature. So that, those theological, that theological range, I think, is very much present. So I think that's another sort of factor into this conversation in terms of where things rate one way or the other. So our theologies do impact what our, you know, past reformation might look like. But because of our program, was or our, our model was so comprehensive with this global endeavor, I think we sort of touched virtually all of those communities in, in some ways. So I think we have a pretty good take on what the broad Christian community is trying to do.
0: And, and I think we're pushing in the right direction. I think all of us, including the, the conservative ones as well. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Professor Neil Pembroke of the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia, and Professor William S. Schmidt. He's professor at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago, here in the United States. They are two of the five co-authors of the recent book, Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities, A Whole Person Prompt Card Approach. I want to pick up on what you were just saying, Professor Schmidt, because in your book, Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities, one of the things that gets reported as we move to the end of the book and get the results is that participants— seemed to be self-reporting a deepened hunger for their own spiritual growth, that they were enlivened by this process, that they were shown maybe, to use that biblical language, rooms in the mansions that they hadn't realized were there, and they were having fun exploring it. And so it seems as if one of the takeaways in a 30,000-foot view of this project is that it has had a net positive effect on its participants. Now, when I say it that way, Professor Pembroke, am I properly reading how you would characterize the results or would you say it in a different way?
1: Well, I think, again, you're hitting right on the target, David. That was what I was speaking about earlier, that we were genuinely pleasantly surprised at the transformative power of this model and just story after story of people Who'd felt like they're in a rut spiritually, just not going anywhere, not finding any energy or excitement about it, a sense of duty and tradition going on to church. But all of a sudden, something coming alive for them, the light going on, getting excited about prayer and the possibilities about some of the spiritual practices that we opened up for them. And it really was for many of them really transforming and and they They said we want more, which kind of created issues around how do you do that when ministry agents have got pretty full dance cards already. So that's why we started talking about um, expanding it through continuing group work and that kind of thing.
0: Well, and and we've talked about both the practices aspect of this to some extent, and we've talked about the self-awareness aspect of this project to some extent, but we've only touched so far on the ethical component of this. And I want to circle back to that, because in the methodology that we're talking about, this prompt card approach to help with spiritual formation in local faith communities, there was a range of options in terms of ethical models that could have been used. And for my listeners, I just want to briefly say, of the three ethical models, they were deontology, utilitarianism, and virtue ethics. And I'm going to quickly explain that deontology is basically the following of duty. You have a certain rule, and it, it, you are ethical if you follow that rule, no matter the context or the consequence, versus utilitarianism, the that which is ethical is that which brings the most happiness to the greatest number of people. And different from both of those models is virtue ethics, which is looking at a moral exemplar and trying to build habits that make you more like that moral exemplar. In this particular Christian context, the moral exemplar is Jesus Christ. I want to ask you about why it was that you felt drawn to step away from deontology, to step away from utilitarianism, and to embrace virtue ethics, Uh, Professor Pembroke. And then I want to flip the question for Professor Schmidt in just a moment. But I want to start with you, Professor Pembroke. Why virtue ethics? The main reason is that the the kind of reading that we were
1: doing as a team was showing us that a number of ethicists were making the argument that the best fit for Christian spirituality, is virtue ethics of the three. The other thing I want to comment on is that, again, with our desire to be inclusive and to reach this way and that way, uh, left and right, if you like, we included some traditional virtues that conservative folk would warn to. And then we put in some challenging ones that they might either be surprised by or even uncomfortable with solidarity with oppressed people, we saw as a virtue, and also peaceability, which is the nonviolent way of Jesus. And that, even in our team, there was some concern about that one of peaceability. It's pretty radical. So I just wanted to, to, to say that's how we operationalized the virtue ethics.
0: And now, Professor Schmidt, I want to bring you into the conversation because, again, you're coming from pastoral counseling, a more psychological set of models for thinking about the flourishing of the human person. How does virtue ethics play out in a psychological context? I I can imagine— holding something up as an exemplar and saying you don't match up yet, you don't measure up, might be very damaging in certain psychological contexts. But I'm sure that that there's a way in which this can be used positively in in a counseling context. Can you help us to understand that?
2: Yeah, in terms of psychological terms, I would say it's focused around authenticity and truth-telling. In other words, part of the the healing journey, the transformational journey is coming home to oneself in realness and so that that requires a witness someone to accompany you and to can challenge you know come your own potential distortions or limitations or narrow view of things so i think a fully engaged psychological pathway would ultimately want to go toward a kind of opening up the full, of the fuller narrative the things we have trouble engaging, that we're avoiding the shadow parts of ourselves. So, so
0: psychology is not foreign to that requirement to come to authenticity. Well, and Professor Schmidt, if I may continue with that, this brings us then to that other part of the subtitle of the book, this notion of the whole person. And we've touched on it here and there, but I wonder if you could give my listeners, uh, when you're aspiring to help a person become a more whole person, what are we really reaching for here?
2: Well, most people who are questing and, and are coming into some place of seeking, it may not have something to do with necessarily certainly not pathology and even a problem that they have that they want to solve but they're actually they're they're living from a yearning they're living from a place of needing to deepen their authentic experience of themselves of life and their perhaps their ability to engage the world in a fuller way and so the hunger for the more for the full the greater fullness of life i think is an implicit human impulse and so the spiritual accompaniment is a a supplementary resource for that. And I think many people are pretty well-informed psychologically in terms of their engagement in the world. But sometimes the spiritual piece is the missing element where you don't have a spiritual partner to open up the deeper questions of your own
0: life, the meaning-making, the purpose, why am I here, etc.? Thank you for that. And we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll dive more into these sorts of questions when we come back. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Neil Pembroke. He's the Associate Professor of Christian Studies at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. He's the author of Moving Toward Spiritual Maturity and Foundations of Pastoral Counseling. We're also talking with William S. Schmidt. He's a professor at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago, here in the United States. He's the author of Walking with Stones, A Spiritual Odyssey on the Pilgrimage to Santiago. Longtime listeners will recall that we've had Professor Schmidt on the program before to talk about that book. Today, we're talking about a recent project that they are two of the five co-authors on, a book called Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities, A Whole Person Prompt Card Approach. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're speaking today with Professor Neil Pembroke and Professor William S. Schmidt. Professor Pembroke is Associate Professor of Christian Studies at University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia, and Professor Schmidt is Professor at the Institute of Pastoral Studies, Loyola University, Chicago, here in the United States. They are two of the five authors behind a recent project called Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities, a whole-person, prompt-card approach. Well, Before the break, Professor Schmidt was talking about the kind of commitment to the community aspect of this, the the notion that there's accompaniment involved in pastoral care, pastoral counseling. And that was one of the things that impressed me the most about this book, Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities. It really does emphasize the community aspect of all of this. Oftentimes, when I think of spiritual formation, I've been misled to think about it as a kind of individual enterprise. But with your book, you're looking not only at the lay participant, but you're also looking at the pastor, the minister, and you're looking at the ways in which the interactions between these two and the wider community all can help with spiritual formation. And so I really want to ask about the kind of widening the lens here and then rethinking particularly in an individualist culture like the American context, what it means to rethink the kind of self-made spiritual person over against the community-made spiritual person. I wonder, Professor Schmidt, if you'd like to start us off with your thoughts about that.
2: One of the evidences that we receive from the feedback uh, speaks to this communal hunger and need, and that was a good number of persons recommended that we create a framework for group spiritual form as a kind of a supplement they they wanted to continue the process and so i think there's a deep yearning i think for people to share with each other their respective faith journeys so having a a supplement that would take them to an even deeper level of exchange not just with a pastor and an individual parishioner but their relationship to each other within the community I think it is a really a
0: missing piece in our spiritual formation as Christians. I wonder, Professor Pembroke, if you'd be willing to add on to that.
1: Yeah, so I mentioned earlier, I first trialed this approach when I was teaching in a theological seminary. And I did it with my theological students who are training for various ministries. And we did it as a group exercise. And they kept a, a journal, a spiritual journal. And I encouraged them to share in small groups with me as the moderator at a level that they felt comfortable with. And Bill mentioned truth telling before. And I was very humbled and honored to to witness the level of truth telling and the depth that people were prepared to go and the trust that they had in each other. We thought about doing it that way as a group exercise, but the the difficulty was just having the resources to manage all of that, and it's much more complicated. But there was a big call out from our focus groups, please keep this going, please have groups. So Bill did a wonderful section in the book as an appendix on how to do it as a group.
0: Well, that's one thing I wanted to ask about, because you do have a book that both looks at the process, and then at the end, it interrogates the process, and then it offers revisions of the process, and so... I'm wondering, are the five of you thinking about uh, spiritual formation in local faith communities part two, where you would bring about that more expanded set of methodologies, or are you trusting now that you've given the tools that can be used in these local faith communities to build that themselves?
2: You know, that's a great question. I I think as as we get further feedback, I could imagine that there would be other variants of this. I think the testing that we did gave us a pretty solid foundation. We're on the right track, but I think individuals, let's say communities, maybe around particular traditions may have a different take, a kind of specificity that, you know, because we did do a very generic, not generic, but a broadly Christian enterprise here. I think specific communities might have variants of this that would be very useful for them.
0: And I wonder what your thoughts are about that, Professor Pembroke.
1: Yeah, well, I agree wholeheartedly with Bill, and I think that it's it's a matter of we're trusting the local communities now to run with this. You know, we've given them a solidly tested framework, but for local conditions and local needs, they'll take it in all kinds of different directions, and that's as it should be. And in that final chapter on revisions, we mentioned that. Some people said, oh, it'd be great to have images like paintings and for the visual people, and Yeah, amen, but it's not up to us to put in every possible uh, permutation and combination. Local people will do things like
0: that, and that that would be great. And so what I'm hearing both of you saying is that you have what we what might call here a thoroughly tested model. So you've tested this in multiple contexts, multiple areas with multiple different communities. So you feel confident in the basic structure and you have enough confidence that handing that structure off, you don't need to franchise it and you don't need to own it from here from here on out, but you are trusting communities to take this well-tested model and then to adapt it to their own needs and their own particular traditions. Am I hearing that correctly in what you both are saying?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just a quick little story about that. You and Kelly, um, Scott, uh, and when we were getting together our prompt cards, and there's obviously little definitions of each spiritual practice or virtue on it, and Ewan sometimes would say, now, I'm thinking of a Glaswegian working-class person. They wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. You know, come and break this down, you know. So meaning and purpose in life, which comes from positive psychology, was what gets you out of bed each day? And so yeah, that, that's a good example of how, how we've tested it for context. You know, educated Chicago people might look at some of these definitions and think, yeah, r- right on board. But you know, what, what about if you're from a different context altogether?
0: Well, that really speaks to one of the difficulties that I was thinking about as I was reading through this book of yours. And that is, you are really trying to reach such a wide sweep of different readers and different contexts that I imagine your example of, of Professor Kelly and the, the the hypothetical Glaswegian, who just doesn't understand the terminology— I imagine that there could also be class and race and gender. All of these factors can play in as well. And Professor Schmidt, when I say that kind of disparity as well, were those some of the things that you found and factored for? And how did you factor for them in the process of making this as capacious as possible?
2: Because we we're embedded in our own sort of context, so we trusted each other to Bring the it is as disparate a kind of a community the th- the three communities we all selected bring them all to bear on the wider process. So I think it it has the benefit of kind of a, a local immersion, but because rep- we represent different traditions. I mean, I uh, I I was an ordained Baptist minister for twenty five years, but I have over thirty years in a Jesuit university, so I represent a variety of communities in a very potentially split way, but hopefully unified in my own personhood. And so we brought, I think, the essence of our own pastoral insights. We're all pa- pastoral practitioners. And so we have a very broad cross-section here of Christian reflective researchers here, of the five of us. So I'm reasonably confident that we represent a very broadly based but deeply immersive Christian experience. So I, I have confidence in that. And it's really meant to be a handbook. And I think as a handbook, is meant to be used and used in the ways that any particular pastoral person would be able to draw upon it in their own appropriate ways, in their own context. So I'm, I'm reasonably happy to just release it to the world and <laughs> let it run with it.
0: Let me take a moment and reintroduce you both. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dahl. We're speaking today with Neil Pembroke and William S. Schmidt. They are two of the five co-authors of a recent book called Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities, A Whole Person Prompt Card Approach. Well, as we're moving towards the end of our conversation, I want to ask more open-ended questions, and in particular, I want to ask about surprise, because this is such a well-thought-through model, because it is tested in the way that you did, because you were so thoughtful about trying to reach a disparate number of communities. It seems like you were trying to anticipate a lot of things that could go wrong. Every participant in this project probably was anticipating the worst and hoping for the best. And so I want to ask you each, and I'll start with you, Professor Pembroke, in the process of this what was one of the things that you most enjoyed discovering or that you found the most surprising as you were part of this project
1: uh, for me that the most surprising thing I enjoyed most was the level of excitement you know I'm from Scottish background even though I'm an Aussie born in Australia my fa- father was born in Glasgow and so we're pretty serious minded and maybe tend towards the glass half empty and I was expecting that that some people would say, Yeah, it's great. Other people would say, that's oh, all right. <laughs> Could do better. <laughs> but firstly to a person, just the level of interest and, and gratitude and excitement. I mean, it got me going because I've been involved like Bill in a lot of research projects over the year years and it's my day job. That's what I do for a living. But it really got me excited and, and it was so, and I, I put up on our my Facebook page, with absolute sincerity, this is the most, by far, enjoyable, satisfying research project I've been funded.
2: And Professor Schmidt, how about you? Well, I was just delighted by the comprehensiveness of our breadth and depth of the engagement. In other words, all of us as authors brought really, I think, deep and expansive Christian resources to bear scripturally, theologically, through the spiritual structuring of accompaniment. So I, I really feel good about the quality of it. If I have one, it's not a concern, but a, a wish, a hope that, and it has, this has to do with the the pressure that's on, I think, pastoral persons. The faith communities, I think, are in, in some serious challenges these days with COVID and theological challenges within faith communities. And so... Part of the, I think the crisis in the Christian community is pastors burning out, and so if if they have a hundred things to do will they will be inclined to to drop spiritual accompaniment as one of the things they're going to drop so that's one of my sort of practical concerns that pastor can still retain a vision for this the centrality of this, even in terms of their own preaching, teaching their broader role as pastoral persons to not to not leave the the, the one-to-one and the group commitment with others as on the side rail. So that's one of my sort of hopes and concerns at the same time.
0: I'm so glad that you mentioned that because one of the things I wanted to make sure my listeners understood about why this project was undertaken, and you both have talked about it in part, but maybe we could spend a moment or two on it, is that spiritual formation in local communities is often an ad hoc or improvised process. And what I'm hearing in your concern and hope, Professor Schmidt, is that you wanted to help to create a resource where if a pastor is called to do a hundred different things, they can pick up this book and they can have very practical methodologies that they can use, that they don't have to reinvent, but that they know have been tested in that work to help to deepen someone's spiritual formation, to maybe take one of the hassles off the plate for them. Now, these are my words, not yours. But gentlemen, as I'm saying this back to you as one of your hopes for this project, that it would be basically a grab-and-go resource that doesn't do the thinking for you, but allows you to think without having to invest a lot of uh, time in reinventing the wheel, have I got Got the basic gist of the project right, or would you say it in a different way?
1: Oh, look, I think that's absolutely spot on. It, that, that's the beauty of it, that the, the minister or pastor uh, just needs to turn up to a group, turn up to uh, the one-to-one, because all the work's done. They can reproduce the prompt cards. And they're, they're made available in the book, free of charge. Off you go. They don't need to prepare. They don't need to do any background reading. Just well, apart from reading the book. But but then
0: that, off they go. I, I guess I'm a person who oftentimes is deeply cynical about the institutional church. And one of the things that rings out for me throughout this project, Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities, is every author on this book, all five of you, deeply love the church and you deeply love the people of the church, and you are trying to find ways to make sure that when a person is involved with the church, and you said it best, Professor Schmidt, that they're becoming their whole selves and that they're coming to themselves in an authentic way. I think that's such a beautiful thing, and I have to ask both of you, as a committed cynic, where do you get your optimism from? What keeps you hopeful in the midst of this process? Professor Schmidt, what keeps you hopeful?
2: Well, I think a a lifelong first pastoral commitment for me has been accompanying others in, in their own journeys of wholeness and, and transformation. So so I I think that's a spirit-invited pastoral commitment that all pastors should have that sort of degree of personal uh, resonance with their own spirit and their own faith, their personal faith formation. And so once once you have that internal gift that desire, you want to share that with others. So I think they're doing that in incremental ways. I think they do it through pastoral care and other things they do. But I think this more explicit accompaniment, the spiritual accompaniment, I think, deepens the pastor and provides better pastoral gifts to the community as well. So it's a kind of a win-win situation. The other thing, piece, I want to just add is because it's also disciplined enough that it has a kind of a time frame. In other words, we're not Training create open-ended, lifelong, you know, immersion where you're accompanying through all the ins and outs of a person's life. It's a very specific beginning and it it has a certain discipline about it, I think, which really helps limit the potential, not excesses, but just not over extension kind of thing. So I think
0: there's a sufficient barrier consideration for the pastor as well. And Professor Pembroke, I'd ask you the same question. Uh, from whence springs yeah. your hopefulness that that fuels uh, a project w- like this?
1: Well, some of the stories that we heard in the focus groups, there was a Scottish lady in middle age, and in the focus group, she said, uh, this is big, so I'm just going to get this right out there. I haven't prayed for 20 years. I'm praying regularly now and loving it. That kind of thing keeps the, the spring of hope bubbling up for me.
0: Well, Professor William Schmidt, Professor Neil Pembroke, I got so much out of this book, Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities. Professor Schmidt and I are colleagues at Institute of Pastoral Studies. I'm just going to tell the both of you I'm planning to use this as a resource in the classes that I teach uh, about spirituality and spiritual accompaniment and spiritual direction. I think that it, it is exactly what you say. It is a useful guide for going deeper and becoming more whole within the community context. I think that it's sorely needed. I think that my listeners would would benefit from getting this and applying it in their own communities. I know that it took a lot of time and a lot of thought to bring this project into the world. I'm so grateful for the time that you spent creating this resource, but I'm especially grateful that you took the time today, both of you, to speak with me and my listeners about it. Well, thank you for, for allowing me to share this with you. Thank, thank you, Dave. It's been great. We've been speaking today with Neil Pembroke and William S. Schmidt. Professor Pembroke is Associate Professor of Christian Studies at University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. And Professor Schmidt is Professor at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago, here in the United States. They are two of the five co-authors of the recent book, Spiritual Formation in Local Faith Communities, A Whole Person Prompt Card Approach.